good things for God's people. 3 John, verse 11. Beloved, follow not that which is what? Evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Now, you know, you really don't need to interpret that at all, do you? It's just as plain as the nose on your face. Don't follow that which is evil. Follow that which is good. If you do good, you're of God. If you do evil, you haven't even seen God. And a lot of people say, well, if I made a decision way back, then, know if you aren't doing good, you've never seen God. Because when the Holy Spirit comes into a person's life, the desires of their heart change. They become a new creation. I didn't say they become perfect. I said they begin to do good things. Their heart is toward God and they want to do the right things. Make mistakes, yes, but their heart is toward God. Hebrews, the 13th chapter. Let me read verse 14 through 16. For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Where's here? On earth. But we seek one to come, a continuing city. But by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God. By Christ, let us therefore offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. That word communicate, by the way, in the Greek actually means share what you, what you have. Another translation puts it, do good and share what you have. Forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Psalm 73, verse 28. But it is, and that's the first thing that I want to bring out, is the first good thing for God's people is to draw near to God. The first good thing that you and I can do is draw near to God. What did God say? Draw nigh unto God and what? He'll draw nigh to you. Well, that's a good thing. And in Psalm 73, verse 28, it says, But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. It's good for me to draw near to God. Now, Hebrews 10 and verse 22. It says, Let us draw near, and it tells us how to draw near to God. Now, there are some people who say, I'm getting closer and closer and closer to God. You look at their lives and you wonder if they're really getting closer to God. We're going to see later on in the study that there are many, many people who say that they are in spiritual truth and they're walking in light and everything is glorious and they're having all these miracles happening everything else. Uh, but the scripture tells us they, that, that they are those that have departed from the faith and have submitted or yielded themselves to seducing doctrines and spirits. But it says, first of all, let us draw near with a true heart. And that word true means a transparent heart, a real heart, a sincere heart. I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but many times as a Christian, I find myself, I'll get into prayer, and all of a sudden I find I'm just saying words. I've said them before, and I know how to say them again. Get into an attitude, and I have to stop and say, Lord, forgive me. In the name of Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. And I don't want to say things that I've said before just because I've said them before. I, I really want you to do work in my heart, and I want you to show me how to pray. I want you to show me what to pray. But first of all, then I go back and say, I just need to spend more time, Lord, just beginning to tell you how much, how wonderful you are and worship you and adore you and exalt you and lift you up. But it's so easy not to come into God's presence with a true, sincere, transparent heart. You know one of the hardest things I find a lot of Christians having? Hard to come before each other with a transparent heart. 
I've said to people, now come on, real talk. That's the phrase we always use in our family. Real talk now. What are you thinking? What's going on? And I see them just go, zoop, pull down a curtain right in front of me. They'll mouth some words, but you know they're not really telling you what's going on. I say, no, 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 real mouth, real talk. Is there some place that you've been offended? Is there something that's happened? Is that, no, 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 no. Zoop, down comes that curtain. Just see it. But you know, the scripture says that we're to be transparent with one another. We're supposed to be open before one another to where we don't go around thinking, well, that's what they said, but that is what they really meant. That should never be said of a Christian. Scripture says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. But whatever is more than that is sin. Scripture says, lie not one to another. How many of you know there are no such things as black and gray and white lies? Let me say, well, that was just a white lie. I wish you could find that for me in the scripture. Scripture says, lie not one to another. But God wants us to be transparent. He said, if you're going to come to him, rule number one, come with a true, real, sincere, transparent heart. After all, remember something. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. He says he knows your thoughts afar off. I sometimes just shake my head when people actually think they're pulling the wool over God's eyes. You ever notice that when you go in, if you go into a nightclub or a bar, how dim it always is? Of course, John tells us men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. But some people think, well, in here nobody sees me. And the Word of God says that the darkness is just as same as the day with God. He sees everything. And he's allowed men to learn how to make telescopes now or binoculars where you can see just like it's daylight just by looking through the binoculars in the darkest of nights. Years ago, Beverly and I were down in, in, on the east coast of Florida, way south, and uh, Fort Lauderdale. And we were walking along the beach, and this man was standing looking out with binoculars out on the water. And I said, I hope you don't get eye strain tonight. It's kind of dark out there, isn't it? He said, not at all. Here. He handed me. I looked out, and I could see everything. I said, what is that out there? He said, there's a couple of guys out there surfing at night. I said, this must be interesting to look around at night. You can see everything, can't you? See, I said, they... I'm here because the government's having me watch right now. We're having people trying to get into the coast with drugs and people coming in from Cuba trying to slip into the country. And so he says that there's men like myself all up and down the beaches just watching in case somebody comes in. We're supposed to notify them. When I thought of that, I thought, you know, they sneak in under the cover of darkness and think they're going to make it. And there's people when they're praying, they think, well, if I don't say anything, if I just keep this undercover, God's not going to see it. God says, I see everything. I know your thoughts before you even think them. I know them afar off. I know your attitude. I can tell if you've got pride and haughtiness in your heart. And he says, I despise that. I won't even listen to you. You might as well save your breath. He should be absolutely open and transparent. I mean, if you feel, God, I don't feel like serving you today, say, God, I don't feel like serving you today. I really don't feel like serving you today. Please help me because I want to serve you. My spirit does. You see, the old flesh wants to sin. The old flesh gets aggravated, but our, that new spirit, that new nature that's in us, wants to please God and wants to do God's bidding. And we have to say, Father, I'm having a battle here. This other aspect in my life is telling me, sin within me is telling me I ought to give up, I ought to get discouraged, I ought to get mad at somebody, I ought to quit, I mean, I ought to, you know, I ought to divorce my husband, or I ought to change churches, or I ought to quit my work, I ought to do something. Just be honest. He says, when you come to God and you draw near to Him, it's good for us to draw near to God. We need to draw near to God, but He says, Realize when you do it that we can't fool God. We've got to be absolutely open and have a sincere heart toward Him. I really think that many people would go away from prayer feeling a lot better if they would just remember that one thing. 
You, know, you and I can't tell God one thing. I've actually caught myself saying, but Lord, do you understand? And I think, what a dumb statement. Moses, I want you to go to Egypt and I want you to do thus and such. Well, Lord, I can't talk. Who are you talking to, Moses? Didn't I make your mouth? I can make a motor mouth out of you if I want to. I can do anything I need to. Anything I call you to do, I can make you sufficient for. And for people to come before the Lord and say, you know, I just hope the Lord doesn't want to talk about this today. The Lord knows exactly what you're thinking already. And what he's saying is you're not coming with a true heart. And then secondly, he says, and by the way, if you do the first, the second one's a lot easier. What does it say in the next portion? In full assurance of what? Faith. What's another word for that? With boldness. You know, there's some people who think, oh Lord, I'm just going to crawl in front of you. And a lot of times that's, that's false humility. Now, if there's unconfessed sin in your life, you have to say, God, be merciful in Jesus' name. I repent of that sin. I ask you to wash it away in the precious blood of Jesus. And I thank you for that forgiveness. I thank you for that cleansing. I thank you that it's under the blood, never to be remembered against me again. Cast into the depths of the sea. Cast behind your back. And you never turn and look back. You don't remember them anymore. Your mercies are new every morning. I thank you. Now, now, Father, because you have washed me and cleansed me, I want to come and make my heart wide open to you. And I come in the name of Jesus. And I'm going to come boldly before your throne. Hebrews, the fourth chapter. Look at it with me. It's good to come to the Lord, but we need to know how the Lord would have us to come. Verses 14 through 16. Seeing then we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the nick of time. That's what it actually says in the nick of time. He says we have one when we come to him. He knows what we are experiencing in our daily life. I'm amazed how many Christians think that I'm the only one that's having this, has this, this failure in my life. I'm the only one that ever makes this mistake. I'm the only one that falls short in this area. Who do you think is telling you that? Satan's only got so many bag, tricks in his bag. And he uses all the same tricks on all the people. And what we have to know is when we come, Lord, I have to come to you again and just acknowledge the fact that I can't come and get into God's presence in my own righteousness. I have none. Jesus Christ is my righteousness. He is my sanctifier and my sanctification. He is my peace. He is everything. He is my shepherd. I come through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. What does it say there? Let us come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We can come boldly before the throne of grace with confident assurance because we have a high priest who understands our problems and our needs. Look at Philippians, the fourth chapter with me. In verse 6. The prohibition, be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And let me just give that to you as three points. Prohibition, be careful for nothing. The prescription, but in everything, with prayer and, and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests, not your demands, your requests be made known unto God. And the promise is verse 7. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The prohibition, the prescription, 
and the promise in those two verses. What is it again? Be careful for nothing. Be bold, in other words. God, I'm coming into your presence in the name of Jesus through his precious blood, and I'm claiming the promise of your word. If we ask anything according to your will, it shall be done of my Father which is in heaven. I thank you ahead of time for that confident assurance that I have. And I give you thanks and praise, and I lift up these requests to you, and this is my request, and this is my need, because I believe it's in the will of God, and I, I'm asking you to intervene in this situation, and I, I thank you ahead of time for that. Now, Lord, because I've committed it to you, I declare you are Jehovah Shalom. You are my peace. And because you're my peace of God which passes all understanding, you're going to keep my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. I'm not going to worry about this anymore. I've cast all my care on you in this situation, and I thank you ahead of time for it because you said if we cast all our cares on you, you'll receive them because you care for us. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest unto your soul. We're to come boldly before the throne of grace. But we have a key. Back to Hebrew, the 10th chapter. Hebrews, the 10th chapter, we have a key to get in. Let's go into verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the what? By the blood of Jesus. Let me tell you something. You and I have no access into the presence of God outside of the blood of Jesus. In the Old Testament, when the priest came into the Holy of Holies, if he came in without blood, he was smitten dead instantly. He could not come into the presence of God without blood in that basin to put on the mercy seat that God's justice and righteousness could be appeased or paid for by the blood of that bullet. It says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, in the Old Testament, you remember there was that big, thick veil that later on, when Jesus rose from the dead, was ripped from the top to the bottom. But when they came in to make an offering to God before, it was with a dead animal. Through death, we could enter into the presence of God. Now, through Christ's death, but we also have a living intercessor. His blood was shed for us. It's the living, risen Christ. His name and his provision for us on the cross that allows us to come into the Holy of Holies boldly into his presence, declaring that Jesus shed his blood in my behalf. His blood washed away my sins. He took my sins. I have received his righteousness. I've been clothed in his righteousness. And I come by this new and living way. And it says there in the 21st verse, by the high priest, by, by the high priest of Christ. Hebrews 10, 21. See it again. And having an high priest over the house of God. You and I have one who is praying for us in our behalf. Jesus says, my father always hears me. I was talking to a Catholic lady and she was trying desperately to explain to me why they believe that you need to go to Mary first because they said if you had a friend and you wanted something from your friend you and you wanted, you'd go, if you went to his mother and asked him to, her to intercede for you, you'd get it quicker because of his love for his mother. I said, I know that sounds wonderful as far as the family is concerned, but the Word of God doesn't say that. It says there's just one intermediate, a mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And the Scripture says He loves us. He loves us more than anyone else could ever love us. And He says that we're to come in His name, in the presence of our Father, and make our petitions known. We don't have to go through anyone else. He is our high priest. He's already interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. 
And we can come boldly because we have that high priest in our behalf. And in John 14, he tells us, he gives us the key to use to come into his presence. John 14. Come into the Father's presence. Verses 13 and 14. And whatsoever ye shall ask, in my, not ask me now. Remember again, we come in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit to the Father. Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Like what one guy says, God, Jesus is telling you here, whatever you want, if he doesn't have it, he'll make it for you. I like that. If he doesn't have it, he'll make it for you. Ask anything according to my will. And you know something? A lot of times I think we fail to come into God's presence because, first of all, we don't want to have, we don't want to pay the price of having a transparent mind and just opening our heart completely to the Lord. And we don't want to get quiet enough so we can hear God speak to us and minister back to us and acknowledge what the Word says, not what we know we are. I'll tell you, if I ever tried to come into God's presence because of what I am, I couldn't get within, I, I wouldn't even want to turn in that direction. But I come because I know what he has made me to be. Made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all sin. And I come through the precious blood of Jesus and in his name I make these requests known, Father. Because in me and myself and my flesh dwelleth no good thing. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I come in his name, based upon his righteousness, cleansed by his precious blood, and I, I know that that blood has been sprinkled on the altar there in heaven for the remission of my sins. And so, Father, I come as your child. If we have preconceived ideas of what's right and wrong instead of what the Word says, we'll come with guilt, we'll come with embarrassment. Sometimes we'll come with stupidity and ignorance, come before the Father and make all sorts of uh, blunders when we come before Him. I'm so thankful, though, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities. He says, don't stay away because of it. Come on. I understand where you are, and I'll just say, keep on coming. I can remember when my kids first started walking and they'd stumble and fall down. I didn't kick them over the corner and say, you ignorant thing, just stay on your belly the rest of your life. I don't care, you know. I didn't do that. I'd say, oh, come on, you made it now. Don't bleed on the rug. Get up and keep going, you know. Like daddies do. I want to tell you one thing. The Lord loves you tonight. And he said it's good for us to come to him. That's why he saved us. They might have fellowship with us. Have fellowship with him. I find when I'm driving, when I'm sitting someplace, when I'm doing work, when I'm doing, I, I just find that constantly I'm talking to the Lord, just sharing with the Lord, and just releasing my, my spirit and my thoughts and my burdens and heartaches to the Lord. I hope that you'll realize that it's good for you to come to the Lord. Draw close to the Lord. He wants you to. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy. You've got a heavy burden on you? You say, bring it to me. Put it on me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. The man that was walking down the road with this big, heavy load on his back could hardly make it. And this guy stopped alongside side of him with a truck and says, Come on, get in. He says, Take you wherever you're going. And he said, Okay. And he got in and picked up the big load and set it on his lap. And the fellow says, No. He says, Put that big load in the back end of the truck. He says, No, that's you carry. He says, No, sir. He says, You're good enough to carry me. I'm not going to make you carry this load, too. And we laughed at that. What a dumb. I mean, I'm not going to make you carry my load, too. I'll carry it on my lap. Because a lot of Christians say, well, if you wash my sins away, Lord, I'm not going to make you carry all the rest of it either. Besides, 
I can carry my own loads. You just, just save me. I'll just carry the rest of the burden myself. I won't put that on you too. Casting all your care on him because he cares for you. Hebrews 10, 22. Remember last week we told us how we could draw near to God. Hebrews 10, 22 says, Let us draw near. How do we do it? With a true heart. Number one. A real, sincere, transparent heart. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. And that's what we talked about last week. Boldness by the blood of Jesus, by a new living way, and by the high priesthood of Jesus Christ. We have access to, to the throne of God. Come with boldness before Him in full assurance of faith. Now tonight I want to talk to you about our having what? Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. That's what I want to talk to you about. Different types of consciences. Now let me explain to you what is involved in a conscience. How many of you know what a conscience is? You know what a conscience is? Okay. A conscience, according to the dictionary, is the knowledge of the inward awareness of what is right and wrong. How many of you know as long as your conscience doesn't bother you in a matter, it's okay for you to go ahead and do it? You see, your conscience is something that each person establishes by the experiences and the intake of life's daily experiences. For example, if I say that this is the standard that you and I would have in our life, now, by the way, we set that standard. Some people think there's nothing wrong with swearing. Others think they never swear. Some people think there's nothing wrong with drinking. Others would never drink. Some people think there's nothing wrong with lying once in a while, a white lie, and others think it's absolutely wrong to ever lie. Now, that's a standard that they establish. If you say it's wrong to lie, you set that standard, and then something comes up, and in a moment of weakness you lie, what happens? How many of you felt that three-cornered wheel turn around inside and chew away at you, called a conscience? I know I shouldn't have done that. Now, by the way, that makes us unique as a creation from any other part of creation. If someone says to you, why don't you act like a man? Why don't you act like a, a lady? Why don't you grow up? All of a sudden, if we have a standard in there, we know we weren't acting up to that standard. What happens? We begin to feel guilty. My dog has made several mistakes lately, and I wanted to say, why don't you act like a good dog? But I knew it wouldn't do any good. Why? Because he doesn't have a conscience. Now, he can learn from instinct what displeases you and makes you angry and how he might get punished, but he doesn't have a conscience. And I'll tell you, something that needs to be developed in young people is a godly conscience. Now down, we can say that up here is God's standard and down here is the natural man's standard. And the problem is, a lot of times we'll say, well, we're not so bad off right here, but we're comparing it with this down here. So what's happened? Our, the standards of society are changing terribly. Now, does that mean that, that uh, they were wrong when they had higher standards and that God has changed? But you see what's happening is there are standards that God has established down through the years in this church that are breaking down vehemently right now. How many of you know that 60 years ago, if someone, for example, had gotten divorced and remarried and come to church 60 years ago, the whole congregation would have said, we love you dearly, but you need to repent of this, you're living in sin. 
in churches today, if you'll say that, they'll tell you to leave. But a conscience is the standard that you establish from what you have learned. There are some children, for example, their parents will be very strict concerning their dress code. And if they were to try on anything else, they would feel guilty. When Beverly left home and came to the St. Paul Bible College, I noticed, and this was that little streak that I saw her when I was dating her, when she came to school, she put on some makeup. But when I went to her house the first time after we were engaged, and the folks wouldn't let me come to her house until we were engaged, I noticed she didn't have any makeup on. I said, where's your makeup? She said, well, I don't wear it while I'm home. I said, say what? She said, I don't make wear it while I'm home. She said, why? I said, why? She said, well, because my parents have a conviction against it. I said, do they know that you wear it at school? She said, no. I said, I think you need to have a meeting with your parents. I said, if it's a conviction with you that it's right, then you don't hide it behind your parents' back. You need to sit down and ask them why they have that conviction. And she didn't want to do it at first, but we finally sat down and talked about it. But you see, she didn't, they had not a set a conscience in her that says you can't wear any makeup whatsoever. But her mother wouldn't wear any makeup whatsoever. What happened? The conscience didn't take. You see, whenever you establish a standard or a level in your life and you say, I won't do this anymore, let's just say, for example, you say, I'm not going to speed anymore because I promised the state I would not break the state laws while I'm operating with my driver's license. And you get out on the road and all of a sudden you look down and you're doing 70 miles an hour. What's the first thing you usually do? Look in the rearview mirror. Oh boy. And then you think, well... I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm in kind of hurry to get there, you know. And you think, well, I'll just, you know, you just hang on. Well, I'll wait just a little bit longer, you know, before I let off the gas. But all the time there's that churn church. Why? Because you said, I will no longer speed. I will obey the state law. Now, you can keep on breaking the speed limit and having that gnawing in there. And for long, those corners will wear off and it'll quit. It'll no longer be a conviction with you and you can change your standard. Now you can go 75. And later on, you can go 80, and you can go 85. You see, so your conscience is not infallible. You set the standard by what you believe. Now, as a believer, you know, for example, if this is you, first of all, you're going to get signals from the flesh. But as you become a believer, you also get signals from the Spirit. How many of you know the flesh and the Spirit are at odds with one another? They can't stand each other. They want nothing to do with each other. They're totally contrary, the one to the other. And so as a believer, you're getting two signals coming into you. And what is the purpose of the Spirit of God beginning to teach you? The Scripture says that you might be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That if your standard was way down here when you were a sinner, the Spirit of God is going to keep raising your standards. He's going to keep bringing new truth to you from the Word of God. And then there's this struggle between the flesh and the Spirit trying to say, well, I, I just, I, that just really eats me up inside. I, I I just don't think I want to make that my stand. And then the word of God comes to you again, comes to you again, comes to you again. Finally, you say, all right. Now you move your standard up to here. And then the Spirit of God teaches you some more truth. And you begin to move your standard up here. And each time you do, you establish a wall here. And that wall is called your, your will. That's why the word of God says to be single-minded. You see, there's a difference between a preference and a conviction. A person who has a preference is double-minded. A person who has a conviction is single-minded. 
and the light of God's word comes into their heart. Now, the thing that establishes this conscience is, first of all, your intellect. That's the accumulation of facts. Sensibility. What sensibility? Common horse sense. Now, when you take intellect, get facts, and then apply it to the to everyday experiences of life, based upon what the Word of God says, you begin to establish biblical concepts. Now, let me show you what happens, though. Let's say that you have an opportunity to go into business. Intellectually, you know that there's a need for that business. Common sense tells you, though, that about uh, three out of five businesses fail in the first two years because of lack of finances or some other problem that comes up. So you want to try to protect that situation. But while you're trying to figure this out and you're working on the will here to see if the will is going to give you permission to go ahead and make the plunge into that business, if you're strong and say, I, I don't want to leave my security that I have right now, I really feel that this is a very secure situation, and if I step over there, I'm going to have to really depend on my ability to do it. And you, So you count all these facts, and you're working on that will, and the will isn't giving, so you don't make a, a decision. Now, all of a sudden, somebody comes along and begins to give you a picture of how you can make all this money very quickly, and uh, right here's the opportunity to get into it, and then there's one more thing that gets involved. Well, one of the greatest areas of problems and difficulty a person has, even as a Christian, is not knowing how to deal with those. If this person comes along and gets you all, of ex all excited all of a sudden, these, the intellect and sensibility begin to take secondary place and you begin to feel and smell all that money and all that success and stuff, and boom, down goes the will and you go ahead and make a decision and, and a choice to do what you want to do. And afterwards you have problems. Now let's use that same thing. How many of you know that it says on every cigarette pack you shouldn't smoke? How many of you know that everybody that smokes has read that warning on that side of that thing? Common sense says you shouldn't do it. But addiction and peer pressure and going along with the rest of the crowd many times will overwhelm that. How many of you know that children, young people, teenagers, know with the intellect that to become physically involved with other people today is a deadly risk? How many of you know they got all the examples out there they could possibly want on that thing? They're getting from the Surgeon General and in the high schools and everywhere else, they're being taught these things. You know that? You know when they get in trouble? Remember I told you I used to tell my kids go in the room and pray and ask God how far you're going to go tonight before you get outside so that you won't have to make a choice in the heat of the battle? Why did I say that? Because I know no matter how strong their will is, you've got to watch out for this. Look at Proverbs 29, verse 20. Seest thou a man that is hasty in his words? There is more hope of a fool than of him. You know, the scripture also says that it's better to not say anything and let men think you a fool. It's better to not say it. He says a fool stick at his whole mind, but the prudent hold back. And that's another thing, you know, David said, let the Lord put a guard before my mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, our mouth speaks. And whenever we are we haven't established in our heart that we want our mouths to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And no, I won't say that, even though I feel like saying that. But that's something you have to decide to do. It says a soft answer turneth away wrath. So when somebody says something harsh to you, if you're slow to anger, and you just determine, I'm not going to let anger control me. Anger and emotions will not rule me. I will not respond in like kind. I'll respond softly. The Word of God says here that there's 
If you can't do that, there's more hope for a fool than for you. But a person is slow to anger, stronger than the mighty. Ecclesiastes 7, 9. Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the next book. Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of what? You tell me a person who's quickly angry and God says they're fools. So we establish that that's not going to happen. Proverbs 25, 28. He that, now watch this, he that hath no rule or restraint over his own spirit, his own passions, his own emotions, is like a city that is broken down and without walls. He that hath no restraint or rule over his own passions or emotions is what I found the, the Greek word is actually saying there. It's saying that, that your emotions and your, and your passions are not controlled. It's like a city that's broken down without walls. You have no defense whatsoever. You're wide open to the attack of the enemy. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place or landing strip to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but let, rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Up until you become a Christian, these standards and principles are not there, and the Holy Spirit comes and says, this is what I want in your life. And you're going to struggle with these things because that's not the natural response to circumstances. But you begin to establish, Father, that's what you say in your word, and I choose to come into agreement with your word. I choose that that becomes the standard of my life, that I am not going to let corrupt communication come out of my mouth anymore. I'm not going to go around getting angry and exploding all the time. I'm not going to loaf anymore and let everybody else carry the load. There's some Christians, like the fellow said, that are so lazy that if breathing weren't involuntary, they'd suffocate. And they want the welfare and everything else to take care of them. Because they've never understood God's standard and they need to have that standard rate. Since it's done by my conscience to pick up my, my uh, welfare check, then you don't understand biblical principles. If you don't understand biblical principles, you're wrong. Your conscience is wrong. Your standard is wrong. You've got to come to God's standard if you expect God's blessing in your life. One more. Colossians, the third chapter. Any of the eight verses. But now also put off all these. Now, I'm not, I don't have time to go through all these, but if you mark them down later and sit down at a desk and write these words down alongside and ask the Lord if He has done a work in your heart there, will you establish a will that these things will not be in your life? And to reaffirm it and to strengthen that will. But now you also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. How many of you know there are people in church that will lie to the preacher? Give you all sorts of reasons why they do or don't do something. And you've already been told by somebody else what the true reason is, and they'll look at you right straight and say, I say, is that right? Yes, sir, Pastor. Well, I'm going to tell you. I think, Lord, you know. 
says, why not one to another? And that has to come a standard. There has to be a standard established in your life. No matter how it hurts, I'm not going to lie about something. Verse 10, And have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. Now, it's interesting here, he says humbleness of mind, and here we're talking about being, some people call this bullheadedness. No, this is stubborn assertiveness. You know, you've now found out what is right, and how many of you know that right is always right? If it's right, it's right. And if it's wrong, it's wrong. So you say, no, now I failed God a lot of times, but in this matter, I won't fail God. I know what he told me in his word. That's humbleness of mind, but at the same time being strong. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. The standard that you must establish in your life is that I refuse to go through any day with un unforgiveness, resentment, or bitterness towards anyone. Because God said, if I don't forgive, he won't forgive me. I will not live with that in my life. I will not let bitterness eat the insides of me when it's not hurting the other person at all. I refuse to have that in me. I forgive them. Even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven me, Lord bless that person. Now, unless you set that as a standard in your life, you will chew and gnaw on everybody that ever does something wrong to you. Don't allow anyone to open you up to bitterness and resentment, no matter how harsh they are, no matter what they say or do to you. Let me just tell you this much. In 30-some years of ministry, I've had lots of opportunities given to me to have resentment and bitterness towards I just said, no thanks, I'm not interested. Like one fellow said, I have been lied to, cheated, I have been mistreated, misquoted, misunderstood, and if I weren't so happy, I'd quit. Happy because you're not going to let them get into it. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule or act as a judge in your heart. I like that. Let the peace of God act as a judge in your heart. Anything that you and I do, based upon what we know the Word of God says, the minute we feel that peace leaving, say, nope, that's not going to be in my life. I refuse to have that in my life. I don't feel the peace of God still there. I'm going to let that be my judge. If I don't have peace, I'm not going to do it. To the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The first part of that verse, all of this is possible, only possible, when it becomes a reality in your life. Let the word of Christ dwell in you in all wisdom. Knowing the word of God, you'll know the truth and the truth will make the truth. The truth will set the standard. The truth will tell you whether it's right or wrong. The truth will tell you how to set, establish your will. Your do's and your don'ts, your wills and your won'ts. And make sure that these are under the control of your will through the word of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. I want to just say to you tonight, if you're not pleased with the standards that you see in your life and you see you're vacillating, understand that God is trying to allow these things in your life to establish a stronger will based upon the knowledge of the truth. You know the truth. He's emphasizing that from you. If you know the truth, not just hear the truth, if you know the truth, the truth will make you first. 
Once you know truth in your heart and it's set there, don't be double-minded. If that's what God's Word says, there's no more question about it. It's settled in my heart. That's what it's going to If I were you, I would always set it higher rather than lower. I believe that God will honor you more for that in another way. I hope that every time you begin to feel guilty about something, or don't feel guilty about something and you wonder if you should, you'll go back to the Word of God and say, where is my conscience in this matter? Am I being honest before God? Have I searched the Scriptures on this matter? If you find an area where the Spirit of God shows you you haven't been, then you've got to put off the old man, put on the new man, and reestablish new principles based upon God's holy Word. How strong is your conscience? The Bible talks about a person with a strong conscience and a weak conscience. We're going to analyze all the different types of described uh, consciences that are described in the Word of God. And I want you to see that Scripture talks about people with strong conscience, weak conscience, how we're to relate to one another. But the important thing is, we all must say that what I am doing is based upon God's principle. I may see it differently from you. I can understand. I'll, I'll give you room to breathe on that. You've got to give me room to breathe, too. But the important thing is, we're not going to answer to one another. Even though we have to exhort one another and rebuke one another, we're going to answer to the Lord. If we rebuke one another, it's got to be in love, realizing that we all are the Lord's servants, and we're concerned in love for each other. Third John. Eleventh verse. There are some good things for God's people. Some people think, well, there's not very many good things for God's people. I, I really feel sorry for those people because the Bible's full of good things for God's people. Third John, verse 11, Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Then over in Hebrews, the 13th chapter, Hebrews chapter 13, and the sixth verse, I'm sorry, 13, 16, I'm sorry. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. God is well pleased when you and I do good and communicate good to those around about us. And we talked about how we can do good. And if you'll turn back to Hebrews, the 10th chapter, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, talks about the doing good. Let us draw near with a true heart. First of all, that means a transparent heart. In full assurance of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We've got to come expecting that God's going to meet us. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, when we talked about having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, we said that when we come to the place where we say what the Word of God says, that we've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus, when we repent of our sins, they're washed away in the blood of Christ, cast behind God's back, never be remembered against us again. You know, in the Old Testament, the, their sins were only covered. But in the New Testament, the Scripture says the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us or washes away all sin. And it's never to be remembered against us again when we repent of that sin. So we're to have uh, our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Now we talked about a conscience as being your inner guide. 
Now, you and I may say, well, that doesn't bother my conscience, but that doesn't make it right or wrong. Or that does bother my conscience. Sometimes we may have a very faulty conscience. And we have to uh, adjust our conscience to the Holy Spirit. If you were brought up in an area where you don't feel the least bit bad about not wearing an underarm deodorant, and you get into a crowd, and some people say, oh, what's going on right here? Doesn't bother you a bit. I mean, that's what, all you've ever known all your life until somebody comes to you and says, hey, you know, you really need to do something about this problem. Why? Well, it's very offensive to other people. Why? And then they begin to tell you, you know, it, it just isn't good ethics to go around when people just are offended by that. And all of a sudden you walk away and new input has come to you. And then some girl that you are interested in or some fellow you're interested in, when they come around, all of a sudden you notice that they back off a little bit suddenly. And you say, maybe what they said was true. And all of a sudden you raise a new standard in your body. And so you go out and find something to put under your arm. And you start putting a little bit of stinkum on your, on your face because all of a sudden you, you're consciously aware that people don't accept human body odor anymore. Well, it used to be a, a great thing. If you ever smelled the song, it was supposed to be the toughest guy, but that's, that's no longer true today. And what you wear. I can remember when I, I thought I was really dressed up one time. Back in that day, I had blue pants on and a green shirt. No, no, I had green pants on and a blue shirt. That was it. And I thought I really looked sharp. And someone came up to me and said, Oh, Joe, has anyone ever taught you how to dress? I said, Man, I look sharp. What's the matter? They said, Blue and green doesn't go together. Well, it didn't. But then after a little while, they started wearing blue and green together. But all of a sudden, I thought, Well, I'll never wear blue and green together again. That's terrible. I, I had new input. And the next time I pulled out that green shirt, I thought, No blue pants. Or green pants and no blue shirt. I, I, I found a new truth. Now, your conscience is only based upon the input that you receive. And that's why the Word of God says, study to show yourselves approved unto God. What does it mean? Your standards aren't right. And if someone says to you, you shouldn't be doing this as a Christian, if you come back and say, well, it doesn't bother me, that's not the, the, the answer. The answer is, why should I not be doing it? Well, because the Word of God says, thus and such. I remember some years ago, we had a man come to this church, a young man come to this church, and he had hair clear down over his shoulders. I wasn't going to say anything to him. I let the Holy Spirit work in his life. And he was working at the job one day, and he thought, boy, he was just the coolest dude going, you know. And some guy walked up to him and said, you call yourself a Christian, you got hair clear down over your shoulders? You know what the Word of God says? It's a shame for a man to have long hair. Well, nobody else said anything to that guy. Next time he came into church, hair was cut off way short. Well, you see, is that what you believe? I couldn't care less what, how you wear your hair length, long, how long you wear it. But the Spirit of God evidently spoke to that young man's heart when he said, the Word of God says, not me, not, not somebody else, but the Word of God says, it's a shame for a man to have long hair. Now, I know that all these pictures we have of Jesus and all the disciples and so forth, they had long beards and long hair, and I, I don't know what they wore in that day. I really don't. But he just showed him that Scripture verse, and that Scripture verse spoke to his heart. Another young man came to my home one time, and when we started passing food around, he'd pass it on by and wouldn't eat it. I said, and the Word of God says, whatever's put in front of you, eat it and don't say anything about it. Do you know the Word of God says it? No, where does it say that? I got the scripture out and said, here, it says this. And by the way, the young people who went down to Haiti learned why that was so important. You can go to some foreign countries, if you don't eat what they put in front of you, they're offended. And the Word of God says, whatever's put in front of you, don't ask any questions about it, just eat it. Protestantly, unless they say to you, now this has been offered to idols, and that would create a problem, then you can say, well, because it's been offered to idols, I won't, I won't eat it. But Paul says, otherwise, whatever they put in front of you, just eat it. 
Well, you know, after that, I saw that person take food and grit his teeth and pass it on, and he'd, he'd chew it real slowly. I could tell he's having real fun. What happened? A new truth came into his life, and his standard was raised. I could go on and on talking about how girls dress. I find out when, the, when women begin to read the Word of God that says that they should dress modestly. By the way, I want to tell you, that word has really changed dramatically. And, and, and of course, there's both extremes. I want you to understand something. There's both extremes. Some people that think you should wear clothes clear to the ankles and clear out to the wrists and clear up to the chin and so forth and, and hair clear up to here. Uh, you ever seen these $45 and $75 hairdos when they've got their clothes but, but the Word of God says modesty. Now, just go to the dictionary, go to the encyclopedia, and find out what modesty is. Then go to the Word of God and find out what it is that, what's the difference between men and women. Men become excited by sight and touch. Therefore, the Word of God says women dress modestly. Why? So that you don't cause others around you to stumble and fall. You don't cause them to be tempted to think wrong thoughts. Now, I, of course, I pull the reverse right suddenly and say that if a woman walking by you causes you to lust, all she's done is shaken your cup and shown you what's in the cup. There's lust in there, and you need to deal with that lust and get it out. But when the woman begins to read these things, that you see her lifestyle begin to change. She doesn't dress to attract attention to herself as much as she does to attract attention to her love for Christ and the purity of her life. What? New input comes in and the standard is raised. That's what happens over on the mission field. I, I've never forgotten, that I've, I've laughed over so many times, that over in the New Hebride Islands, I believe it's pronounced, they used to have cannibalism over there. And a missionary went there and finally won many of them to Jesus Christ and thousands were saved. And several generations later, when cannibalism was completely gone, there was an elderly uh, islander sitting there reading his Bible when an educated man came along, a, a college professor came along and said, what's that book you're reading? He said, it's the Word of God. He said, the what? He says, the Word of God, the Bible. He said, oh, he says, in our land, we're more sophisticated now. We realize that that is not what you say it is. He said, well, sir, all I can tell you is if I were not reading this Bible right now, I would be having you for dinner. He got a new standard in his life because the Word of God was imparted to him. And good things for God's people. Now, in James, the reason it's important for us to understand that the raising of a standard in our life is because God's Word says that there should come new convictions into our lives, and that won't happen until our conscience is dealt with. We have to give new input to our lives to embed within us convictions. I want to tell you something. You and I will never be effective for Jesus Christ until we get rid of just persuasions and have convictions, deep convictions. And when you and I begin to have deep convictions, we're going to have to learn to stand alone when all the rest of the world is against us. There's a difference between having an opinion and having a conviction. A conviction does not change because it's based upon truth. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. I had a man tell me just the other day some of his standards, and I said, well, now let's wait till the next generation and your standard will change and you'll have to change with it. But I'm standing by a standard that will never change because heaven and earth will pass away and his word will never pass away. And that's what I'm going to be judged by and that's what you're going to be judged by. Which standard are you going to go by? What society tells us today or what the word of God tells us today and forever? James, the first chapter, verses 5 through 7, talks about the need of convictions in our lives. 
If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who get, that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavereth. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. He that wavereth, what does that mean? He that is double-minded, he that doesn't have a conviction. He that is a thermometer instead of a thermostat. We've talked about that before. He that lets the temperature around him set his temperature instead of him setting the temperature around him. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything. Don't let him think he'll receive anything from the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Proverbs, the 25th chapter. Turn to it with me. Proverbs chapter 25. It's a powerful verse. I've read several different translations of this. It says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Another one said, He that cannot bridle in his own passions, he that cannot restrain his own passions and emotions, is like a city that is broken down and without walls. He is open to demonic attack. A person who ha cannot restrain or bridle in his own passions is like a city with its walls broken down and crumbled. Now, of course, that had a lot of meaning to the Jewish people because the stronger the walls, the greater the fortress, the safer they were within the walls. And uh, that's why one time when the children of Israel thought that while they were living in sin, they tried to build up the walls, God said a fox crawling on that wall will make it fall down. They could not build a wall strong enough in that day because the, the Lord was against them. And if God be against you, how are you going to win? The scripture says very clearly that we're like a wall that's broken down. Now, I want to tell you the honest truth. Whenever you and I do not have convictions in our life, whenever we're double-minded, we open ourselves to all kinds of enemy attack, all kinds of enemy uh, activity within our heart. If you're not convinced of what is sin and what isn't sin, if you're not convinced that this is the final say in all things, Satan can come to you and say, Hath God said? I mean, after all, intellectually today we realize that it's not even sensible to believe what you're saying. And if you do not have convictions that this is the eternal word of God, never changing word of God, the only book of, uh, on the face of the earth that ever took, had the authority to be able to declare ahead of time what was going to happen in this world and then saw it happen exactly as the word of God said. If you don't believe that, you're going to believe the lies of Satan. You're going to be opened up to fear and unbelief and doubt and lust, emotionalism, all these things that God says we don't need to have in our lives. We're talking about our conscience, and our standard. I just thought about a few of the emotions that we go through each time. And by the way, again, I want to say to you, there's two sources of input, aren't there? From the world, the flesh, and the devil, and from the Spirit of God coming into our life. It's like we're a tank, and there's a, a, a pipe coming in from this side, and a pipe coming in from this side. And you and I decide which side is going to feed us, where we're going to get our information. And the Word of God says... The flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, for the two are contrary, the one to the other. Constant battle going on. Who makes the, the deciding decision? Who decides who's going to win? Therefore, God says we're responsible for what we think, and how we act, and how we respond to the truth that we receive. I was telling someone recently that Beverly did something to me years ago that really shook me up. 
I accused her of something. I blamed her for something. And she turned around and she said, Honey, I'm not going to receive that. And she smiled at me and walked away. Hmm. That upset me. I wanted to receive that because that made me feel better to think that she would receive the fact that she was guilty for it. She said, I won't receive that. And afterwards, I got to thinking, you know, that's exactly what we need to do when Satan comes along with his lies. Just turn around and say, Satan, I won't receive that. I see some people going around just beating themselves over the head all the time, beating themselves, whipping themselves. They're just no good. They're worthless. Satan comes along and tells them that. They don't care what the Word of God says, that they've been redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus, that, that we're precious in his sight, that we're a unique royal generation. They don't hear that. They just hear, I'm no good, I'm worthless. And so they beat themselves down. And they need to be able to turn around and say, Satan, I won't receive that because I know what the Word of God says. This says something better about me. And I choose to believe what the Word of God says. But again, we become responsible. Some people say, I just can't help it. That's just the way I, I just can't help what I think. Oh, we can help what we think. Because we now have a new source of information and it's authoritative. Now, if we don't believe that, then we're like the wave of the sea. Don't think you'll get anything from God. If you go around saying, I'm no good, and God says, you're precious. I'm no good, I'm valueless, you're precious. How can God give us anything? I just got to thinking of some of the emotions. By the way, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is what? Sin. And once you know to do good and you don't do it, God says that's sin. If you know that the Word of God says something different than what you're saying, then you need to stop saying that and say what God's Word says. I thought about happiness. That's an emotion. Now, when you look at the world and talk about happiness, and the Bible says that there, there's sometimes in the world, the, the world it has happiness. I mean, they have all these material blessings coming to them, and it seems like nothing touches many of them, and they just fly around, and they're fat and sumptuous and go all over the world. And David even said that. Lord, I just don't understand it. Here are all these blessings come on them. They just don't seem to have any problems. Job said the same thing. Solomon said the same thing. But then David went into the house of the Lord and he says, I see what the problem is. They look like they're being happy right now as far as the world is concerned and in the natural realm, but their feet are like on a, on a drop off of shale. And once they slip, they'll go off over the end and their destruction is sure. So he says, that kind of happiness is shallow and meaningless and is not going to be fruitful in the life of a believer. Any happiness based upon circumstances or even expected circumstances is not biblical. The Word of God says there's one purpose for happiness in the life of the believer, and that is rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord, and again, I say rejoice. If that's all we have to worry about, about being happy, is just rejoice in the Lord, and we can be happy, then we don't have to wait and say, well, if thus and such works out, then I can be happy. We can choose to be happy even though our bodies are breaking down, even though our bills aren't being paid the way we thought they ought to be paid. I'm rejoicing in the Lord. Well, that's unreality. No, that's reality. How many of you know that if you died tomorrow, they're not going to worry about whether your bills are paid? How are they going to come and collect? Right now, as long as you're breathing, they can get you, they can call you, they can irritate you, they can aggravate you, they can just wear you down. And if that's what's basing your, what you're basing your happiness upon, then you're not going to be happy. 
Jesus said to the disciples after they had cast out all these demons and everything came back, he said, Lord, we, we were, people were healed and we cast out demons. It's always wonderful. What did he say? Don't rejoice in that. Rather rejoice in what? That your names are written in the book of life. How many of you know the day you repented of your sins and trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior that your name was written down in the book of life? How many of you know if you never received another thing the rest of your life, you ought to be happy? How many of you know if you, if you sat right there where you are right now and starved to death, you ought to be happy? Because absent from the body, present with the Lord. The worst thing that can happen to you is to die, isn't it? Best thing you can have to do. The worst thing is to have to stick around here and keep putting up with this mess. What Solomon say? I only, I only envy two people in this world. The one that hasn't been born yet, he may not have to get all this, into all this trouble. And the guy that's already died, his problems are over with. That's what God's Word says. Yeah, I still say, I got the short end of the stick. Mama Beverly and Jeff got the good, the long end of the stick. I mean, they are in everlasting happiness. Peace. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more heartache for the former things of pastors. Bless God, sometimes I almost, if it weren't a sin, I'd envy them. How do you base, what do you base your happiness upon? Oh, if I can just get that other position, if I can just get that promotion. By the time you get it, you're going to want another promotion. Remember me telling you the story about the fellow that was on a television program, quiz program one time, and the guy asked me, he said, if you had your choice, which would you rather have, a million dollars or 13 kids? The guy just came right back and said, 13 kids. He said, you're kidding. He said, no. He said, why is that? He says, because I want to be satisfied in life. And if I had 13 kids, I know I'd be satisfied. If I had a million bucks, I'd probably want two million. He had a good outlook on life, didn't he? I want to ask you something. What does the Lord have to do for you tonight or tomorrow to make you happy? He already died on the cross for your sins. He already rose for your justification. He's already seated at the throne of the Father, the right hand of the throne of heaven, making intercession for you tonight. He said, take no thought for tomorrow. What you shall wear, what you shall eat. For your heavenly Father knoweth you have need of all these things. Yeah, but it's not coming in the way I thought it should. Well, no one said it was going to come in the way you thought it should. It said it's going to come in the way he wants it to come in. And he never makes a mistake. He does all things right. Yes, but I, I didn't. No, yes, but. As for God, his way is perfect. And you know, that's the reason why many Christians look like they've been eating alum. Eating, uh, I like one guy to eating oats out of a three-foot stovepipe. Their lower lip, they're stepping on it all the time. They're just as miserable and they just feel so horrible because they said, God's just not fair. Listen, you better thank God that God is fair. But he's also merciful because if he is fair, you and I would be in hell tonight. We don't deserve a thing other than hell. And I, I want to get that down in your heart. Get your standard raised up and realize I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I have been born into the family of God. I have received the, the eternal type of life, evil, eternal type of life. And I am making a decision because of my relationship to Jesus Christ. I have decided I'm a happy person. I'm going to be happy regardless of the circumstances. Well, you've got to go into the hospital. I'll be happy in the hospital. Well, you may have to have surgery. I'll praise the Lord on the way to the surgery. Well, you're not going to get your bills paid this month. No, but I'll bless God and thank Him that He's my source and He's going to make a way for me so that I can if He has to give me three more jobs. But in the meantime, I'm going to thank the Lord because He has promised to meet my every need. 
Now, you've got a choice. You can either do that or go around as a grumble grouch. Grumble, 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 grumble. How's it going? Grumble, 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 grumble. I'll never forget the first time I ever heard it. They sang a, a duet in my home church in Fremont, Nebraska years ago, an evangelist and his wife. Uh, oh, they grumble on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, grumble on Thursday, too. They grumble on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, grumble the whole week through. And they went on and on, verse after verse, and I thought, boy, that's so much like some Christians. And they don't realize the Word of God says, rejoice not in your circumstances, rejoice not in your possessions, rejoice not in your relationships, rejoice in the Lord. And I want to tell you something, the reason you can always do it that way is because He never changes. You may, your feelings may change, your condition may change, but He never changes. So you can always rejoice in the Lord. And just say, I have chosen and I have decided to be happy. I'm going to whistle my way through life. I'm going to sing my way through life. Have I said enough on this that you understand what I'm trying to say? You have to come to the place where you say, my conscience is going to make me feel guilty if I go around as a grumble grouch anymore. If I go around complaining and murmuring anymore, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to make my conscience bother me so badly that I'll repent and say, Father, forgive me. I rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'm going to rejoice. I hope it comes to a place where you will absolutely be miserable if you go around grumbling. You have no right to grumble. You know, as I read the book of Hebrews concerning those of the faith, some of them were torn asunder, tied between two horses, and the horses beaten and taking off in two different directions, jerked them in two. How many of you have gone through that this week? Some of them were disemboweled with a sword. Any of you had that experience this week? Some of them were burned at the stake. Anybody had that experience this past week? Almost. Just because you live in Florida, you almost think you are. But these, having all died in doubt and unbelief, the book of Hebrews says, the book of Hebrews says, these having all died in doubt and unbelief, you know what it says? What does it say? In faith. Most of them rejoicing and praising the Lord while they did. You know the thing that just absolutely overwhelmed the early, when the Christian church began, was when they put them down in the lion's den. And they would go out singing hymns into the arena while the lions were jumping on them. They would be praising God and singing in the lion's den. You know something? We don't even know what it is to have a reason to complain. Every day we ought to get, get up and say, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord in me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. Why should I be afraid? If God be for me, who can be against me? Bless God, this is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I'll tell you, that's a lot better to get up and say, oh boy, I just ache and I hurt and I just can't, oh man, I'm, boy, my job is just miserable. I just, hey, we were all going to go through it. I noticed that I'm going like this more and more to here because this ear is giving me trouble. I noticed this arm is getting a little stiffer all the time in the shoulder. Bless God, one of these days, just think about a shoulder. One of these days, I'm going to be through with you and I'm going to be out of this old body. You heard all you want to. One of these days, absent from the body, be present with the Lord. In the meantime, I'll serve the Lord with every ounce of strength he gives me. Bless God. I'm not going to sit around and grumble about it. God's given me some limitations, but one of these days I'm going to be freed from these limitations and I'm going to be absent from the body and be present with it. What an expectation. What a hope. What a thrill. Who else can say that? The unbeliever can't say that. 
What was it they said? A guy went to the atheist funeral and he walked up the casket and said, isn't that a shame? And someone said, what? He said, there he is, all dressed up and nowhere to go. The saints got somewhere to go. Be with the Lord. Happiness. It needs to be a conviction in your life and a standard in your life that you're not going to allow circumstances to control you. The Spirit of God in you is going to control the circumstances around you. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Satan's not going to have a heyday in my life. And that must become a conviction in our life. Then, another emotion. Sorrow and grief. Now, I could spend a lot of time on this. I'm going to try to be as short of this as I possibly can. Sorrow and grief, usually sorrow, comes from unfulfilled expectations. Well, I didn't expect it to turn out like this. I didn't expect my loved one to die. I didn't expect this. I didn't. Well, the Word of God says that we're not supposed to have great expectations except in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Say not, I'm going to go do thus and such tomorrow, but say the Lord willing tomorrow I'm going to do, go and do thus and such. We must understand that the Word of God says there is a time to be born and a time to die. Some people say, well, they just died. Their life was snuffed out prematurely. Was it? Who are you, God? Well, yes, but they were so young. So what? There's a time to be born and a time to die, and God is in control of all these things. Does God kill people? No, he just knows that there's, a, he just said that there's a time to be born and a time to die. Now, we would certainly like to readjust that clock. How many of you know that if God turned the world over to us for one day, we'd be in chaos? Ever notice the farmer says, I need rain. The guy out on the beach says, they keep the rain away, you know. Jim and I were talking about today the fact that in the area of healing, God's healed people through my ministry that I never would have healed and hasn't healed people that I would have loved to have seen healed. Some years ago, some of you remember, a lady came to this church that right over about where Renee is right now and I was leading singing here and I had to stop right in the middle and say, I don't know what's going on, but God just told me, ma'am, I don't know who you are, but God told me if you come up here in front and let me pray for you, he'd heal you. She started crying, came up here and I prayed for her. She went back and sat down. Didn't know who she was. Uh, she didn't look like she was sick to me. And she went home, slipped out after the service. She called me later. She said, I've had a bladder and kidney infection for six months, and doctors couldn't stop it. She said, it's totally gone, Pastor Webb. I want to thank God for that. And I started talking to her. Found out the woman came into the service, has been married and divorced three times, and was living with a man unmarried now. I would not have prayed. If I'd known that, I would you yeah. uh, Give me a break. I mean, there's 20 people in the church here that love the Lord, trying to serve the Lord. Let me pray for them. Let them get healed. I'm glad the Lord doesn't tell me ahead of time some of these things he wants me to do, what he, why he wants me to do it, or who they are he wants me to do it for. See, that's not my business. I'm just supposed to take orders. We, he says, don't get your expectations up. Just day by day, say the will of the Lord be done in my life. Now, when it doesn't happen, then comes the sorrow and then comes the grief. Sometimes it comes when a loved one dies. Sometimes it comes when there's a relationship broken up. Sometimes it happens when we fail in business or fail in, in something that we expected to succeed in. 